All right, we're live. Good afternoon, Colonel. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Chase. I'm not as uh, nimble as you with the Twitter, so I'm trying to tweet out the show link. <laughs> <laughs> like, That's okay, man. <laughs> I should have sent you a say, link Say your handle. Say your handle. Uh, is that real, real Chase, Chase Geyser? Guy. Yeah, yeah, you can yeah, see it at the go. bottom of the screen. <laughs> yeah, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate yeah. you. Oh, yeah. Hey, I'm honored that you would uh, ask me. I'm well, excited I about Twitter it. Like the... I thought, man, I got to talk to this guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you want to talk about, brother? Man, I want to so talk much. about... Let me uh, just pull up your bio. I want to talk about your 30, 32 years in the United States Air Force as a combat yeah. vet. I want to talk about um, what it means to be a wing commander for nuclear ops. And I want to know... About, I want to hear the story about what it was like on 9-11 as a Pentagon survivor. I mean, your whole life's been an adventure. Um, I'm, yeah. you know, if, Homer, if Homer were around today, he would have added you to the Odyssey. <laughs> so. Yeah, and the bio doesn't even talk about my childhood. My dad was in the Air Force, and uh, uh, he, he worked uh, up until I was about 12, I think. And uh, wow. he, he worked in, in uh, what's called black programs today, back in those days. They cut them loose officially from the Air Force and signed a contract with another organization that that uh, uh, is called the Company, uh, and uh, they would send them all over the world working for the company in civilian clothes uh, and everything, taking care of U uh, two airplanes, spy planes at the time, and uh, SR. What, what years would that have been that he would have served then? Uh, he started uh, in the early fifties and retired, I think, in nineteen seventy three. Uh, but he drug us all around the earth too, including uh, 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 one tour up at a place called Dreamland. Uh, area 51 is what civilians refer to that area as. And uh, uh, we didn't live there, but he worked up there. Uh, we lived out so what in did Las he say Vegas. About the aliens? Did he, was he a believer? Not necessarily in Area 51, but just generally, <laughs> was he a believer? <laughs> Oh, he sorry. never spoke. I'm not a fed, I promise. My, my dad, my dad never spoke specifics to me about what he did, but but he had a book uh, signed by the author. The title of the book is called Operation Overflight. And the author's name is Francis Gary Powers. Uh, you may recognize the name. Most people today probably don't. He was the U-2 pilot that was shot down over the Soviet Union uh, and then put on trial and all that. Gary Powers, my dad worked in that unit. Uh, with him and, uh, uh, and all the guys that supported Powers uh, got a book signed by him. And he, my dad left me that in his will. So that's the only thing specific that he ever said because he was under, you know, very non, big non-disclosure agreements so all of his life lock? until the day that Operation Overflight is about the story of the U-2 uh, and how President Eisenhower and, uh, and the uh, a place called the Skunk Works uh, got started. The Skunk Works is out in Palmdale, California. It's where they built the U-2, the SR-71, and all these other great technologies uh, that you see flying around courtesy of the United States of America these days. And uh, uh, it tells that story and Power's story about getting shot down, what his experiences were in a Soviet prison as a political prisoner, uh, the show trials, and those kind of things. So people ought to read the book today because you'll see uh, some similarities in the show trial part about what's happening with the political prisoners from January 6, 2021 in the United States. And, uh, and I'm not being funny. I'm very, very upset that I have to say that with a serious face uh, right. because uh, what's going on in our country 
uh, is uh, is not right. A lot of us have sacrificed our lives, and my friends, uh, matter of fact, I'm co-authoring a, a book uh, about a guy that I used to work for that died in an aircraft crash. Uh, spoke to his widow today, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, to talk about the book. And uh, people have sacrificed too much for this bullshit to go on. Yeah, Honestly. how many? How many is it that have been in prison since January sixth? It's upwards of. I think it's. I think it's a little over 500. And what's really troubling is that some of them have not been charged with any matter of fact, most of them have not been charged with any violent crimes and they've been held without bail and solitary confinement in places like the DC jail. And we're getting some strange stories from family members, uh, uh, from the prisoners where they're getting abused and those kind of things. And that's really, like that's never a good thing. And stuff like that, that, uh, threats to put them in general population with the hardcore criminals, uh, those kind of things. These are people like you and me, really. Honestly. Right, right. Well, so what do you what are your thoughts then on, about what happened on January 6th? Because, uh, you know, you may be more well versed in it than I am having spoken to these families. But my sort of take on what happened is that it was just, you know, there obviously there was some FBI involvement. We know that from the uh, reporting that's just come out. But it seems to me that it was just some enthusiastic protesters that got a little carried away. Definitely. There were some laws that were broken, it seems. But, you know, this, this notion of, you know, arresting people. For walking in if they're being let in which at some entrances they obviously were being let in and you see the security yeah. footage of them staying within the velvet ropes and it's like all right do we really need to you know have these people locked up for six months before a trial like they're not they're not there a was, flight risk yeah there was definitely some riot activity uh no doubt about it uh but i think overall the uh the patriotic americans that were there to first support the president at his speech and and then the ones that did go up there and got either got enticed to go inside, were let in by the police force uh, or, or whatever, uh, were, or encouraged by provocateurs. And we know one Antifa BLM provocateur was there. We have him on video encouraging people to break into the Capitol. His name's John Earl Sullivan. I, I've reported yeah, on him. He was right uh, there on Babbitt got shot, right? He was right there. Um, uh, a young guy, uh, a young independent reporter named Taylor Hansen was standing right there. I've had Taylor on my show. You can go back and find that episode. It's a, it's a very uh, compelling story. He was standing right there with, you know, next to Sullivan uh, and Babbitt when she was killed. So, you know, it's uh, uh, so, to get back to your question, though, what do I think? What I think was there was definitely a riot there. Uh, I don't think there was any intent to riot on the part of the folks that are being charged with like conspiracy and it's definitely not an insurrection no one's been charged with sedition or insurrection at all uh, uh most people uh, like i said most of the 500 or so have not been charged with anything violent they're mostly misdemeanors some some minor felonies uh those kind of things and it's just appalling that we're holding political prisoners and, and we shouldn't be doing that in this country uh, especially at the same time when we need that credibility to be calling out the communist government in Cuba for arresting its protesters that really are yearning to be free. Uh, uh, but we don't have the credibility that we used to have because we're doing the same thing. We really are doing the same thing. That, that's what the intent of the response is to, is to chill uh, the patriotic Americans to keep us from speaking out and opposing the regime, which uh, many people believe is illegitimate. And, and there are some good facts and data that support that opinion and support that view. Uh, but the, you know, the regime media, and I call it the regime media, like a couple other folks do, because that's really the best description of it. The regime media, like CNN, and, uh, even Fox news in many cases, uh, continues to say it was an insurrection. 
they continue to say that, it, that uh, five people died due to the insurrection. The only person that died was the murder of Ashley Babbitt by a Capitol police officer. Uh, uh, I think his last name is Bird. And I don't know why the FBI investigation cleared him because uh, I was a, you mentioned I was a wing commander uh, for my last assignment and a vice wing commander, two assignments before that. So I've run operational wings and, and been responsible for large law enforcement operations, over 450 people. My last one was, was four security force squadrons. Uh, so I have, I've had my own jails and those kind of things. And your rules of engagement and policy for use of lethal force, even on a U.S. military base, are very well-defined. And there, there's a very well-defined set of conditions that we make our folks and train our folks to, uh, to re respond with deadly force like that. And I know of no rule of engagement or policy in the, uh, in the capital security business that says that you shoot an unarmed protester just because they're coming through a broken window and a door into a certain location. There are no locations uh, inside the Capitol that I'm aware of that allow for the use of deadly force for an unarmed protester wrapped in an American flag. That, do you think the man that shot her was just spooked and made, made a bad call? I don't know, but he made a bad call, and that's why I question why the FBI has cleared him that he didn't make a bad call. He definitely made a bad call. She was unarmed. There were four uh, tactical police team members within arm's reach of her. Uh, he was not communicating, as far as I know. We don't know. Actually, it doesn't look like he was communicating, uh, and he just decided he was going to shoot her and stop what was going on right there. That's just not the way we're supposed to do things in the United States of America. That's what happens in Cuba, you know, right. China, those kind of places. So, what do you think the uh, what do you think the ultimate outcome out after, uh, of all this January sixth stuff is going to be? I mean, do you just think that these five hundred people are going to be charged due time? You know, several months or eight. I know that one of the first convictions was eight months for a gentleman that was there. Uh, yeah, and, I, hope and that's that case, I hope that case goes to the Supreme Court for under the inhumane punishment because it was. Well, uh, hopefully, they don't uh, wait eight know, months to hear it. Uh, it, well, <laughs> you know, he'll probably he'll probably serve the time. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, we have this thing in the United States of America. and It's been codified in the Constitution now after the Civil War and slavery was abolished. That you know, It's called equal treatment under the law. And uh, mm -hmm. in this country, uh, what I'm concerned of, whether it will be the final outcome of this incident, is that the narrative of the insurrection uh, will be used to develop a war plan to go against domestic terrorists. But the definition of those domestic terrorists and extremists uh, under, uh, uh, in this case, the Biden administration is going to be their political opponents that are that are very outspoken, like me and, uh, right. and other folks. Uh, and, and you see that when they got the first opportunity uh, to go after folks, they're going after them full bore. The DOJ is very, very upfront about that in the uh, uh, and the uh, prosecuting attorneys are very upfront about it. They called it shock and awe. Uh, well, you know, that's one thing to try to make sure we have a stable society and everything. But we have a right to abolish this government if they're not doing their job. And their job is to protect our freedom. It's right there in the Declaration of Independence that created the United States of America. Uh, and, uh, and, and we have a right to abolish this government. And we have a right to go protest. And uh, we have a right to peacefully assemble and air our grievances to the United States of America 
Uh, and that includes that Capitol building. And shame on Nancy Pelosi and the Department of Defense for making a fortress out of that place for no reason, because they had no intelligence to support that. So that's what I'm concerned about, is that we will have an unequal justice system in the, as the outcome of this. And you're seeing it develop right now with the, with the first sentence, eight months for this, for a guy that walked into the building, for goodness sake. There was no negative, no, no previous history of a crime, no, no, uh, no violence involved in the criminal charges that were put on the guy, and, and he was kept in solitary confinement. That's how they probably got the, the uh, guilty plea out of him. Uh, Did was you see by the Fox segment, expression. the Tucker segment last night with Mark, uh, I think Ibrahim or Ibrahim, I don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah, um, but you know he's 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 being charged, and one of the charges is leaning on a monument. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, who the hell got charged with leaning on a monument for, you know, like burning yeah. down the guardhouse of the White House or all the other vandalism that we saw throughout, you know, from BLM throughout in George Floyd. Yeah, you remember, you remember early year. June, you remember early June when the, the White House was attacked so aggressively that the Secret Service moved the president to the bunker below the White House. June you know how unusual, right? yeah, you, you know, uh, you know how unusual of a step that is? Uh, look, right. I... You mentioned Mike. Was Mike anyone Greer, charged? Uh, no, no one was charged. Uh, not that I'm aware of. No one was charged. That was an insurrection. That was an insurrection. Uh, and uh, and there were there were firebombs found amongst the crowd. So so that was an armed with real weapons, not just flagpoles and sticks uh, and those kind of things, which is what Nancy Pelosi and her her uh, minions keep saying were the weapons were flagpoles mm -hmm. with the American flag on them. But to get back to uh, the president, you know, I worked in nuclear operations as a wing commander too. Uh, but, uh, but as a major, I worked, uh, well, it was in uh, my wing command job ended in when I retired in 2011. So we're not talking that long ago. Uh, we still have lots of nuclear weapons and a nuclear mission and those kind of things. Uh, but before that in 2000, uh, 2099 to 2002, I worked on the joint staff in the Pentagon working for the chairman. You know who the chairman is now, Crazy Billy, uh, who we can talk about, too. I've got a I've got a video editorial going out tonight again about him and what he calls white rage. I'm curious as to what the heck that is. Uh, any, but, white, uh, any angry white person? <laughs> well, so, we'll get into, we'll get into that, too. But, but as part of my job, I worked in nuclear operations on the Joint Staff. Our job was to maintain what's called the Black Book. The official name for it is the, the, the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs Nuclear Decision Handbook, which is the, the, it's what's in the football that makes the President the Commander-in-Chief of a nuclear force. Okay, it's the nuclear, it's called the Black Book. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, our team, the team that I was part of, uh, was responsible for writing plans into the book, taking them out, maintaining it, making sure the, the operational forces were ready to go. You know, we were, we were responsible for all that. So I know how important it is when they move the president of the United States to the bunker. That's a major right. move. And, and the Secret Service was very, very concerned. And nobody was charged with sedition or insurrection. Matter of fact, nobody was charged with anything. Have you seen the White House bunker? Fiasco. Maybe. It was it nice. I mean, do they have like take five bars down there and like hot towels? Government, <laughs> government housing is not nice. 
Wow. So Trump must have been really pissed because he's accustomed to like gold plated toilets. Well, well, I haven't been there since he, I've been to the White House uh, when he was in the White House. I, I, I did have a meeting in there once and, and it, it was nice, but it's still a government building, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but did you the meet the president? Stuff, uh, I've met the president a couple times, yeah. What, uh, what was the, it like to the, meet him? Uh, he's an interesting guy. Interesting guy. Yeah. I'm not asking for like an endorsement or a commendation. Yeah. I just like it for like as a human being, like what is it like to oh. meet somebody that you know is, you know, like the most power, one of the most powerful people in the world. <laughs> it's got to be a had, experience. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the last time I met him, he was very gracious and kind and uh, those kinds of things. You know, uh, if I had one critique for the president, uh, I've said it openly many, many times is his personnel is policy, Mr. President. And if you ever get back in, please put America first, loyal patriots to the Constitution mm-hmm. on your staff instead of people that are devoted to big government. Because there's a difference yeah. between being devoted to big government, even if you've worn the uniform all your life. Uh, if you're devoted to big government, then that's why you see some of the problems that he had with personnel and leaks and those kind of things. All of that was related to his personnel policies. And, uh, you know, some people that were closer, to, much closer to him than I am, don't think they were listened to very well. And uh, that that's what I would say to him. Uh, but I think his policies were right on. I ran for the U.S. Senate in 2014. And if I had known the phrase America first was going to be used by him, I'd have used it, too, because the policies I've run on were the same ones that he won on in 2016. And I ran in 2014 uh, in Louisiana against Mary Landry and Bill Cassidy. The Republican that won that eventually voted to convict Donald Trump last January, unfortunately. Sounds uh, like it's time for you to run again. Well, <laughs> you know what? Um, as Jesse, you know who Jesse Kelly is? Uh, I, Marine, yeah, I do. I radio host uh, on the first mm-hmm. right. As Jesse Kelly has it. said, he ran for Congress. He said, clearly, I am out of step with the voters. And uh, as long as that condition. You are. Uh, yeah, and he is, and 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 I and I believe I was too, because I was running on America first, and, and until the voters are ready to fully embrace America first, I can't run for office uh, yeah. again. But uh, uh, but we're here, and we will keep holding, especially the right, accountable uh, mm-hmm. for their major screw ups, which they tend to do every single day. Yeah. So I have to ask you a question, just sort of as a tangent. I didn't want to interrupt you earlier when you were talking about right. command. But you remember mm-hmm. in 2016, uh, you know, one of the big campaign uh, criticisms of Donald Trump is just hit the Clinton campaign was constantly like, can you imagine someone as reckless and unpredictable as Donald Trump having the nuclear codes? And and my question to you is, <laughs> is it really that easy for the president to just drop a nuke? Can the president just be like, hey, we need well, a nuke right now, Iran right now, and just do it? Like, is that how that well, works? Well, he's got to give the order, and the order comes through. Yeah, uh, but can he a, make a the order? Control system that includes the codes that he carries in his pocket on his right. But can he account. can he make the order without like any any consensus? Can he just unilaterally say we're nuking Iran oh, yeah. right now? Yeah, wow. yeah. Congress gave him that authority during the Cold War, and it's never been it's never been changed. That's the problem with old policy, you know. Uh, you know. What about domestic? Could he nuke? Could he nuke uh, Austin, Texas, if he wanted to? Seriously, I know. Well, it sounds he ridiculous. has total. The president of the United States has total control over the nuclear forces of the United States. So it we have one person very, who's capable of destroying yeah. the entire planet, like basically. True, phone but, call. but 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 you know, <laughs> but the nukes would have to be retargeted to do something like attack a target within the United States. 
but it's not right, impossible. Right. It's not impossible. Uh, but there was a whole lot of links in that chain that would have to stay together for him to be able to successfully do that. And we have a, we have a nuclear command and control system that, yes, the president has the codes and, and the military aid that is with him, all, has all that information uh, with him all the time and walks him through that. And we train him and the vice president, anybody else that has a black book aid. Uh, there's not just one uh, because, you know, what if the president died, uh, you know, and the vice president was somewhere else, like it's happened several times uh, where they've been separated and were under attack. You know, so they have a like the vice president has a military aid and several others, too, that we won't go into here. Uh, but it, it, it meets the succession requirements in the Constitution and the law. Anyway, yeah, uh, it, it's possible, but it's very, very unlikely that. He, somebody could pull that off. I'm much more uncomfortable with Joe Biden uh, having the nuclear keys, so to speak, because if you watch his town hall the other night, the, sometimes the man can't put a sentence together. And I don't know if that's his stutter. I'm, I'm not making fun of him. I'm deadly serious. It's not right his now. stutter Please. because he had decades yeah. of speeches <laughs> when he was a senator that were totally I know, coherent. Uh, I know. totally but, coherent uh, 10 years ago, even. But I, but I don't know. Paul Ryan's butt sure. that debate. <laughs> but I don't know that for absolute sure. So uh, uh, I'm not a doctor, but he scares the heck out of me as somebody that used to be involved in the nuclear command and control process at the highest level uh, and making sure that it could go off precisely, accurately and effectively and reliably at, at a moment's notice uh, when the man can't talk. And for, if he were to I mean, we're more, in more danger now than of an accidental nuclear strike inappropriately applied or an accidental military strike inappropriately and incorrectly applied because of what comes out of the man's mouth than anything else. And that that's I'm concerned about it. I, I genuinely would be able to mitigate that. Well, the military aides are trained to help, but it's mm -hmm. still the president of the United States is the commander in chief of the armed forces. Right. And when when folks are under stress, you tend to go to your training, and your training when you're in a uniform is to follow, follow the, orders. Command, the orders of the commander-in-chief. Uh, even if you have a question, you should probably follow them and then ask the question later if it's a time-sensitive uh, challenge that we're facing. Right. But, you know, it, it's, it's, it's concerning. It's concerning. Because I should yeah, the, it's not a stutter. I've been watching Joe Biden and all those senator guys for a long time. Uh, and, uh, and they're, uh, he, he's out, he, he's mentally out. I don't know where he's at, but he's been. Yeah, that's sad. That's sad. Um, yeah. you know, like I, I've never been a Joe Biden fan ever since I've known who he was. So mm -hmm. really started paying attention to politics, maybe right after I graduated high school, 2010. Yeah. Kind of time period I've got a friend that worked on his Senate staff. Uh, oh. very nice guy. Now don't hate me, mm -hmm. but the guy used to be a Democrat. Uh, I don't hate you. Uh, we, we, we both don't like our political parties. <laughs> That's how right. I became friends with this gentleman. And he worked on, on Mr. Biden's staff. He said that Mr. Biden has always been a gentleman to him. Uh, and was a very nice guy. I interacted with him twice as vice president. He was always a gentleman. And, and uh, the, the, the second time I interacted with him, I took him down a rope line of uh, of folks. He didn't do any, do or say anything weird or untoward. He was very nice and gentlemanly and genuine, you know, genuinely interested in the folks that he was meeting and those kind of things. So, you know, I can't, I can't say that I don't know him. I haven't interacted with him. So I think he, 
I think he's like as a human being, I understand where he's coming from, although I vehemently disagree with, I think, mm-hmm. almost every single policy the man is implementing now. There may be some that I can agree with, but well, like the Afghanistan yeah. withdrawal, I definitely agree with that. I don't like the way it's being handled, but uh, I've been pushing for that for a long time. Well, you know, I'm not as knowledgeable about our international affairs as you are, and certainly not military stuff. But my intuition is that if we're going to do these wars, we should do them quickly and win thoroughly. And if we can't do that, then we shouldn't do it at all. <laughs> you know, well, you mentioned that I was to be the, there for twenty years. You know, you mentioned that I was in the Pentagon. You mentioned I was in the Pentagon on nine eleven. So this is a good mm-hmm. opportunity to segue into yeah. that discussion. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people forget these days when we're having the debates about military troops being used to, in combat and peacetime, really around the world, uh, 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 that, uh, that with Afghanistan, we were attacked by the Al-Qaeda terrorist organization that was given sanctuary by the Taliban, who were the government of Afghanistan at the time. So mm-hmm. when we responded militarily, uh, that part I could agree with after 9-11. I was in the Pentagon on 9-11. Uh, there is nothing like being in the what you think is the world's most powerful, impenetrable military headquarters of the most powerful armed force in the history of mankind, and then uh, come under attack like we were. Uh, and it was a, a strategic attack. I mean, they turned those airplanes into cruise missiles is what they did. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, so, and I also what was What side of the building up, were you on? I was uh, on the... Uh, side of the building where secretary rumsfeld was but i was internal he's his office was on the outside ring so he got okay. knocked out of his chair but i was two rings in in the c ring so he's in the e ring i was in Do you the feel C-ring. the floor shake and hear the loud noise and everything no uh my office was inside what's called the national military command center at the time it was the only place you, you had where you had to go through a guard to get into uh that's totally different now but uh, uh all we got was a whoosh through the environmental control system, and then the asbestos-laden smoke uh, came rushing, and that's when we knew that uh, that we'd been wow. struck by something. Sorry, you something had to experience that. Well, I, I, you know, I'm paid to do that. My wife and kids, though, and the family members of folks uh, that were there, and the kids at the daycare center right in the Pentagon parking lot, they're not paid to do that. Those are the ones that I. It just. Uh, it still to this day hurts my heart that uh, our families had to go through that kind of thing right here in the heart of the United States of America. And we spent all this blood, treasure, time, resources to have a strong armed force. And then we, we flub it because of an intelligence failure by the FBI, which I believe is now that I know what I know about January 6th and the Whitmer thing. Uh, I was suspecting it, but now I'm pretty sure they are a terrorist organization that are very similar to the what used to be called the East German Stasi, which was the East German version of the uh, Gestapo. Right, right. Yeah. And that's, so, that's hard for me to say because I know people that work in the FBI. Yeah, well, I know good people that work in the FBI or have worked in the FBI. So, you know, it's just one of those yeah. things. It's like it's not everybody within an organization is responsible for the sins of that organization, but there is a right. point where you have to draw a line and say, all right, am I willing to be a part of this? And, you know, and yeah. I've got mixed feelings about Snowden too. I've talked to a lot of people I respect, um, you know, who say that what he did was reckless and, you know, it, it revealed our agents and 
And then there's other people that are like, well, you know, the guy's kind of a hero because he showed America that they're being spied on, even though America didn't seem to care at all. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> well, yeah, let's go to let's go to that for a second. They revealed our sure. agents. Let's, you ever heard of a guy named John Brennan? Yes. Former CIA director, right? Well, before he was a CIA director, he was in charge of our human intelligence network in China, in a place called China. Uh, and under his direction, every one of our agents in China got rolled up and executed by the Chinese communists over there. I was so, totally unaware of that. About, I didn't know that. Talk about losses of a human when was that? intelligence network. That was, uh, uh, I want to say, in the 2000s, early 2000s, maybe late 90s, those kind of things. But we lost our entire human intelligence network in China. That's one of the reasons why we don't have good information coming out of there is because they rolled them up. And John Brennan was the guy in charge of making sure that network was secure at the time. Uh, so you can say what you want about Snowden. I got, you know, my national security heart goes, damn it, why did he do that? But but my American citizen, liberty-loving, you know, person who is the, you know, eighth-generation grandson of a guy that walked out of his county and volunteered for the Continental Army goes, man, this whole thing's always supposed to have been about liberty, and we even wrote it in the Constitution that my information, my data, my papers – Whatever words they use, then it's my data is safe and secure without a warrant, you know, unless there's a warrant issued under probable cause. And we're violating that every single day. And I kind of appreciate Snowden for bringing that to light. What I don't understand is why we don't have a good classified sector of classified information, uh, whistleblower conduit that's secure enough to keep people like him safe. You know, you saw, you saw a little bit of, uh, of how the politicians use the whistleblower concept to keep people safe that they say are whistleblowers. But well, we should have as good a system in the classified world uh, of classified information as we do in in the, the outside world, the, uh, the non-classified information world. And we don't. And and that's why I suspect that he did what he did, because he, he, he really didn't have any other recourse as a contractor if he was going to get reliably get the information out to uh, so it could be seen. It. And, and I'm very appreciative that we now know this because I was floored. I really was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was funny because, you know, there was this recent controversy of Tucker Carlson's emails allegedly being, you know, monitored by the NSA. I'm like, Edward mm-hmm. Snowden said that all of our emails are being monitored like 10 years ago and our yeah. webcams and our, you know, so it's like, of course, of course, Tucker Carlson's information is like, you know, I don't know, actively being monitored by a human being, but it's definitely being, you know, captured and recorded. So it's like, what would well, you there's no doubt about, yeah, this, this will be captured and recorded. And there's a data center out in Utah that's fairly new. That's where it's going to be housed. I'll tell you right. where it's housed. Uh, a friend of mine, Chris Stewart's the congressman out there, and he fought to get that built in his district uh, back before when things were semi-normal, you know, and that's what Congress people did instead of having to worry about your basic freedom every day. Uh, it, uh, but now, because of that, uh, you know, this just just assume that anytime you're on a phone. On on a recording on the internet that it's all being you just got to assume it's all being recorded and uh, mm-hmm. quite frankly uh, I've been assuming that for since I heard about Snowden for years mm-hmm. uh, so uh, you know and occasionally I'll even put a note uh, or a uh, clarification on some things that I tweet or post yeah, and just say hey way. NSA hey NSA this is I, I'm being rhetorical here it's hyperbole. <laughs> 
Well, I tweeted, yeah, uh, if, if you want your government to, to listen to you, just email Tucker yeah. Carlson. <laughs> yeah, well, here's the problem with what happened with Tucker. And, and, and this is not new either. James Rosenberg, uh, several other reports under the Obama administration. Uh, uh, a lot of folks have been treated this way. Uh, and, it, and the problem with what happened with Tucker is that, you know, they got Congress to agree to this stuff under the Patriot Act because they said we have these rules, uh, you know, and one of those rules is the unmasking rule for because this is all related to the foreign intelligence surveillance system. The, uh, you, you've heard it called the FISA warrant or the FISA court, right. secret court, those kind of things. It's all related to that. Uh, and if you're an American citizen, you're supposed to be remaining remained masked. If you're in a conversation like he was in conversation, somebody was on his team was in conversation, not him directly, probably him directly knowing him. He, he does things on his own, uh, trying to get Putin on his show. Hey, if I had a show like Tucker Carlson, I'd be trying to get Putin on my show, but I can't. Hey, even get I've been trying number. to get Putin on my show. I can't get the phone number. So <laughs> anyway, so I downloaded so, Duolingo so I could so talk to him not, in his own language. It's no surprise at all that he was collected on what's sure. what's. The illegal piece of it is somebody unmasked him with the intention, according to his source, uh, who, you know, is likely reliable. Uh, the, the source saw the email traffic within the system where they unmasked him and said, we're going to get this guy. That's the illegal part. This is not the KGB. It's not the Stasi. It's not communist Cuba or Venezuela. This is the United States of America, and that's why I've, I've run on and I will continue to advocate for the repeal of the Patriot Act. It, while it may Were have you been an necessary advocate of it at the time, no, I was in the military, so I wasn't advocating or anything. I was just focused on finding out who well, attacked us and going. I understand, but were, were you yeah. were you did you have per personal favorable sentiments toward the Patriot Act at the time? I think it was was it two thousand four when that. Was passed. I can't remember. Well, it was. no, it was two thousand one. It was shortly two thousand one, right early two, right after nine eleven. Okay. So I, the passions okay. were high, and and concern was high too. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> and after the attack, I got put into a small team helping plan the war and find out who did this and those kind of things. So, so uh, I was very close to it. And uh, and no, I I don't like the Patriot Act. I have never mm -hmm. liked the Patriot Act. Had I been public at the time. I would have been raising major concerns uh, about the Patriot Act. And since I've been out of the military and run for office, uh, at each time I've run for office, even at the state level, uh, repealing the Patriot Act as soon as possible is one of my platform pillars. Has to be. Has to be. It's, yeah. it's wrong. How come, how, how come think, nobody tries to repeal it? Does, is there ever a, a repeal bill? brought forth does like uh, well, every year do it and then just doesn't Tom, pass? Tom Massey, Thomas Massey from Kentucky. I think yeah. he's tried it, Justin Amash. You know, uh, it's mm -hmm. just, uh, unfortunately for the, us regular citizens, the Republican Party has this this misguided notion that 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 supporting this stuff is important for the national security of the United States. Well, I'm here to tell you that you are uh, you in the government. You are radicalizing patriots. I think the sixth thing, what you saw come out there, just a little bit. Uh, is uh, is that radicalization starting to show itself? Uh, and I'm not talking about radicalizing as in being Nazis or socialists or any of that. Those are already radicalized, by the way, by the left in this country. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about people that believe in the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, 
they're they are becoming radicalized because they see that the people that we've elected in office are not doing their job. And there's one job. There's uno numero job of a U.S. congressman uh, or elected official is to protect our liberty. It's right in the Constitution of the United States. It's laid out as our values in the Declaration of Independence. And as when that government stops doing that job, we have a inherent and inalienable right to abolish it and reform another government. And that is what is going on. That's the kind of radicalization uh, that I'm talking about. Uh, I'm not talking about going out and going to war. I'm talking about through the legal channels, it is time to abolish the current government in the United States. The unelected portion of it is out of control. That's what we're talking about with the FISA issue. But it's Congress and the executive branch that have allowed that and the judicial branch. The judicial branch, a lot of people forget that they allowed all this Russian FISA crap to happen. And then when they discovered it, they didn't take any action to fix it and hold somebody accountable. Not one person except for that one young attorney who didn't even get any jail time for faking the email saying that Carter Page was uh, uh, was not an asset when he yeah, was. taking away Rudy Giuliani's license yeah. to practice law, and then yeah. they're not, then they're not uh, yeah. uh, charging yeah, and that anybody guy who still literally got lies license. on a FISA warrant. Unbelievable. That guy still got uh, his license. And that's so the, the kind of shit that radicalizes people. Too. That's the kind that of shit that the, radicalizes people. For that, lack of, that, Sorry that, for my but, language, but... That's no, but it's, but, it's, but it's important. Well... You know, I spent all my life in the military and was raised by a, a, my dad was a sergeant and a bunch of other sergeants. I was enlisted at 17. So I have dads that were Air Force dads uh, that were sergeants. So you may hear a, a profanity come out of my mouth on occasion when I get pissed off. I and I'm, ask and I'm Did you ever meet off. any of the, of the space program people? Because that was all really happening when your dad was um, working, right? Well, when my dad was working his job after the one at... Uh, dreamland area 51 uh was in the deserts of southern california in the mojave desert you know what's in the mojave desert right edwards air force base california so i, I think absolutely nothing yeah uh well edwards air force base uh was uh has muroc dry lake on it and that's where all the test pilots you if you ever watch the movie the right stuff pancho's happy I'm still here by the way flying club uh, is out there at the end of one of the runways. That's where all the test pilots went. That's where they got their first astronauts. So at the time, uh-huh. I was a little kid there. I, I was a brand-new graduate of kindergarten out of Las Vegas, so I went to first and second grade and third grade, I think, at, at Edwards Air Force Base, where all the test pilots and the astronauts were hanging out. Uh, and uh, I have sat in the X-15, which the astronauts like Neil Armstrong and those kind of guys flew. Uh, That's the one tested. that they, they would they would fly uh, that up, right? Yeah. And then it would launch yeah. from like what thirty thousand feet or something or forty thousand feet. Yeah, off of a B fifty two, and then it would oh. go up in the space, and, and they test controls and those kind of things. That and then scene bring was it back insane. Down. And the first man with Ryan Gosling. Did you, I don't know if you saw that movie, but that scene yeah. in the very yeah. beginning of that movie was just so. That's the X fifteen, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That is the X fifteen. Uh, so, so I, when I was a little kid, my dad was interacting with these people. So I know I met some of the astronauts, but I don't know exactly. I don't have that kind of memory. Which ones? Yeah. Right. But but I've sat in their airplanes. I've talked to them when I was a little kid. And that's where I got the bug to want to fly was there uh, when I was five. So, so yeah, it's, uh, it, you know, we were living that, uh, that scene in the, 
in first man where they're making sonic booms with the x-15 we lived that my mom lost untold numbers of those little glass sculpture birds that used to buy on the side of the highway you know you're too young to know this but uh, i think i know what you're talking she would about buy them every time but they were from, we were from tennessee so every time my dad would drive us from california or nevada to tennessee home for christmas or anything we had yeah. to stop a couple times and get those glass some of those glass things because they were always breaking them when they would break the sound barrier. The house would shake literally and knock stuff. <laughs> what part of Tennessee are you from? I lived in Nashville for uh, seven years. Uh, Madison County, Jackson. Mm-hmm. It's in between yeah. Memphis and Nashville. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Tennessee's yeah. a beautiful state. Um, it is gorgeous. I went, there for, it I went is. there for college, but people don't. People when they think about beautiful states, they like think of California, maybe Alaska, yeah. right? But but, but people <laughs> underestimate how you know. I, I mean, like in terms of actual landscape. And people oh, underestimate yeah. how gorgeous Tennessee is. I mean, I think it even made it into the I Have a Dream speech. Didn't uh, Martin Luther King say from like the mountains of Tennessee to the hills of whatever? I can't remember the exact line, but yeah, it's, well, it is a gorgeous place. It's in the Lee Greenwood song, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and but when you grow up around people that grew up around people like my grandparents and aunts and uncles, my parents both come from like 12 kid families. Uh, mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, they grew up on they grew up on the real David Crockett and Daniel Boone. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and I grew up being around them all the time. Even though my dad was in the military, he made sure he took us home. And then when he got out, I, I finished school uh, there in West Tennessee before I went to the Air Force. So, so you, when you're growing up on Daniel Boone and David Crockett and uh, and, and those kind of people, and you re- and you see that land, you know, you try. My Manus family came from Robbins, North Carolina, across the land of Tennessee and the Cumberland Gap and all that, the same way Daniel Boone uh, did. And you see all that land that they crossed and where they settled uh, there in the western part of Tennessee. And you realize, no wonder this country grew like it did. It really didn't take politicians to buy land like Jefferson did the Louisiana Purchase and all that because it was going to happen. It was going to happen. And in those days... Uh, it's just incredible to listen to people that lived through that and live with those folks. And I got the opportunity to do that when I was growing up with uh, my great grandparents and grandparents and those kind of things. And, you know, there, there's nothing like being from the town where the Davy Crockett stood and gave his speech on the county courthouse when he got beaten. Congress said, the hell with y'all. I'm going to Texas. Uh, I mean, that's where I'm from. My family's from. So we're very independent. Uh, we're very uh, we love this country. Uh, very much, and and we love the fact that the United States of America is all about freedom and liberty, and that it has evolved the way it has. Uh, and 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 all of my family are very upset about what's going on since last summer with all this crazy race crap. Speaking because, of Davy Crockett, did you ever join? A, did you ever become a Freemason? No, but my father, my brothers, my uncle. All are. I was just too busy in the military. Never, oh man, you're a, you're a Lewis. <laughs> What's that? I'm a you're a Lewis. That's a it's a son of a Mason that never becomes a Mason. That's a nickname. For him. <laughs> uh, uh, that's funny because my mother's maiden name is a Lewis. There you go. There you go. <laughs> and my uncle, my uncle, before he passed away a couple of years ago, uh, he was a. Uh, uh, make sure I get this right. He's a he's like above a thirty three degree. I, there's not like really way high out in New Mexico. But, yeah. I, I, don't, so, yeah. I don't know. Uh, but uh, he was, uh, he, he kind of bugged me a little bit about it. And then, then we moved again and, and uh, I lost track yeah. 
all that. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll probably do that at some point. <laughs> it's never too late, man. But uh, yeah. uh, let me know if you need a reference. Just put my name on the uh, on the application, and, I'll, and they'll call me, and I'll tell them you're a good now, dude. Now, if I join the Masons, <laughs> am I going to be part of that, like, crazy Illuminati thing? No, that's hogwash baloney. So the Illuminati like, was an Italian. That's what I wanted to get it was you to say. <laughs> yeah, it was an Italian. Uh, it was an Italian intellectual club, and yeah. uh, the original founders of the Illuminati were were Masons, but yeah. um, it doesn't exist anymore. The organization, exactly. So you might, yeah, okay. it's all hogwash. But the, um, the reason I thought not it, about uh, working against the freedom in the United States. No, in <laughs> fact, they're probably single handedly responsible, almost single handedly responsible for the establishment of said freedom. Absolutely, that's <laughs> and why well, George Washington was wearing that apron when he set the cornerstone for the Capitol, wasn't he? That's right. And well, all the, all the Alamo guys were Masons and I recently yeah. went to the Alamo yeah. and you know, it was, it was touching because there was like, there's a small sort of subtle plaque from the local lodge there honoring mm-hmm. the Masons who fell at the Alamo. And I didn't realize, but like all those guys, not all of them, but a lot, a lot of the guys that fought at the Alamo were Masons and they were like 26 yeah. years old, you know, yeah. or 27 or something like that. So it's just funny because, you know, we, now today people are, are, aren't even really thought of as an adult until they're like 30. And then, you know, you look back Which to the Alamo sad. times. It's sad. I agree. But when you look back to the Alamo times, it's like these people are, are like, you know, given their lives just for, for, for principles, like no personal gain, just yeah. for principle at the age of 26, 27, knowing they're going to die fighting for two weeks. And it's like, where is that in this generation? You know. Well, that's another concern. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of the all volunteer force. That's the way we started under General Washington. Uh, in the United States, I don't like the draft and any all that stuff. Uh, yeah. So my my concern is is that people like me are we're no longer recruiting. You know, the all volunteer force is filled seventy five percent from from former officers and senior enlisted that recruited their family members, friends, and those kind of things. Uh, right. And I, I talk to my friends every day. I'm fifty nine, and uh, so I have a lot that are older ahead of me in the stream and a lot that are younger just now retiring they're not going to recruit anymore until we get some answers and get some uh, get some action taken on pe- removing people like this general Milley guy who thinks that white rage was responsible for january 6th when really is about patriot patriotic radicalization in favor of the constitution and the declaration of independence is what it really was about and he needs to get his act together and get his and, and fire his uh, his Bishop Garrison guy who's running his diversity and equity program. By the way, if you ever hear a term called equity programs in a government institution, fight to get it abolished immediately because equity is equity is not what we're about. We're about equality of opportunity in this country, uh, and and not about equality of outcomes because that leads to tyranny. Equality of outcomes and government trying to enforce it. Right. Yep, you need the best of the best doing the hardest, most important important jobs. And I'm with you on the draft thing. It seems to me that like, you know, a draft is only needed for foreign and unpopular wars. <laughs> like when would yeah. you ever, when else would you ever need a draft? Like you don't need. Uh, I know there was a draft for World War II, but everybody was dying to fight that war. It's like nobody yeah. nobody fought because they were drafted. You know, there was no need for a draft in World War II. Right now, World War One, we had to have a draft because nobody wanted to go fight that stupid war. And, and it really, if you go back and do the research on World War One, we really should have never been involved in it, quite frankly. And, right. uh, and I don't know how uh, we got it, involved, but I know there were a lot of alliances that we needed to honor, and it was like a chain reaction of secret alliances, wasn't yeah. it? That's the general kind of yeah. theory. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Well, there were there were concerns about 
the same thing you hear from some people in the Republican Party though today. Well, we can't leave Afghanistan if we if we don't fight them over there, we're going to fight them over here again. Look what they did on 9/11 and those kind of things. It was the same kind of conversation going on in in World War One lead up. Uh, it, uh, so there are a lot of folks that disagreed with World War One. World War Two, totally different animal. You didn't need a draft for that. Vietnam, terrible decisions uh, leading into that thing, and we had a draft. Uh, uh, as a matter of fact, that's another plank from what I've run on as a political uh, candidate, and that is to eliminate the selective service. We've spent too much money on it. Uh, we get now into arguments like what you're get, starting to see again is, well, women need to sign up for it and those kind of things. Well, let's right. just resolve that direction. problem. Some people have issues with that. Uh, some people don't. But let's just resolve it. Let's eliminate the selective service and save that money and maybe like like put that into programs that for improving literacy amongst poor kids. You know, well, and I don't imagine, just mean imagine if there was a civil war for kids. Imagine if there's a civil war and you got drafted by the federal government to fight against American citizens. Like, well, that's a whole that's a whole different ballgame. That's a yeah, whole different just, ballgame. And, I don't and know. you know, you, you, you can, you'll hear me say that it might be coming, but you won't hear me advocate for that. We killed 600,000 plus Americans in that war. It's the bloodiest war we've ever fought in. Uh, okay. And uh uh, and none of us that have served that are especially on the right, like Kurt Schlichter's a retired colonel, myself. Yeah, he's been on the show. He's t- awesome. We, yeah, we talk about, we warn people that this is coming. You know, it gets back to that patriotic ra- radicalization idea that I was talking about. Uh, this is kind of, we don't want this to happen, but eventually if you don't stop doing what you're doing, this will happen. I mean, we've studied this stuff, but we've spent our lives devoted to studying this stuff in the hopes of preventing those kinds of things. Uh, and, uh, but folks aren't, they don't tend to be listening on either side of the aisle and they better start. They better start. So the last thing I want to ask you about before we, uh, depart, cause we're coming up on an hour and I want to be respectful yeah. of your time is, um, what do you think about all the, uh, reports that have been released about UAPs? The, uh, about the, what? Uh, un- UAPs, unidentified oh, the, aerial the, phenomena. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I don't Did know you ever you see anything like that when from, you were in the Air Force? I don't, I don't know if you ever got the uh, got this from my bio, but I was the commander of Kirtland Air Force Base in New Mexico. Roswell Air, Air Force Base was south of that, several hundred miles. Uh, it's closed. You know what Roswell is, right? Where the spacecraft crash was and the little aliens, yeah, the, right? The, According the to the stories. Yeah, the uh, uh, yeah. alleged. Yeah. Uh, well, I was I was called the the 21st century version of the Roswell commander at my base there. And I would do these town halls with the communities uh, downtown. And there was always this one uh, uh, lady that uh, lived outside of the fence. We had several mountain ranges on the base and, and the, the fence line had houses, subdivisions outside of the fence. She, every time I had a town hall, she would come talk to me about the, the uh, silver footprints she was seeing at night uh, going up the mountain. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, at the, uh, I'm not going to say that the folks that that have seen that took the HUD video, the heads up display video from their aircraft uh, are wrong. I'm just going to say that uh, we see strange stuff when we're flying around the world at all hours of the day and night. Uh, And those are some strange, some of the strangest things I've ever seen. I've seen some of the videos, uh, but I flew for 25 years. And before that, I was in bomb disposal as a young kid. Uh, so 30, almost 33 years of military service and, and, uh, and 25 of it flying. And, and believe me, I've flown all over the world, uh, pole to pole, all the way around at the middle, 
all hours of the day or night. And I, I can honestly say I never saw a UFO or UAV, whatever you guys, UVAs. What do you, what do you call them now? I think the politically correct term is a UAP, unidentified aerial phenomena. Phenomenon. Yeah, that's it. They're UFOs. Go back and read Project Blue Book if you haven't ever read it. That's the Air Force project from the 1950s. There's actually a TV show about it, I think. Uh, uh, which was true to the book. They took the reports right out of Project Blue Book on that television show. And of course, okay. it's always art, art stuff. But you can watch those programs and get an idea that some people have seen some things that are very strange and they're not identifiable. Uh, but I tell you, if we had them and, and we had that technology, I wasn't aware of it. And I was in, in the highest security classified programs that you could ex- think about. Well, do you think imagine. a lot of this stuff is is perhaps foreign tech that we don't know what it is, and it's just stuff that we see? That well, we have a lot of things that you don't know about. Yeah, so it could be domestic you have to assume, stuff. Yeah, you have to, yeah, well, that's one, and you have to, and that means that we also have a lot of things that I don't know about. Uh, right. Even if I was actively flying, yeah, we have things that I don't know about. Uh, we have things that those Navy pilots with that the heads up display activity don't know about uh so so there's a possibility that there's any one of those things but quite frankly how could how could we not be not have neighbors somewhere in the universe sure sure i mean come on think about it, it, it right it's got to be too many, too many opportunities yeah yeah so i'm not gonna poo-poo the idea so to speak uh, uh but i personally have not seen anything and and I can't really talk about the silver fr- fr- footprints out of Albuquerque into my mountain cave complex. <laughs> well, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show. Where can people find you? You can find me at Rob Manus on Twitter, R-O-B-M-A-N-E-S-S. Go to my fan page on Facebook. It's at symbol C-O-L, Rob Manus. You can find me on Gab, Getter, uh, uh Parlor's still there, but it's not very good, I don't think. But Getter's actually yeah, been right. pretty pretty good. Uh, and that's all at Rob Manus. If you type in at, at symbol Rob Manus on any of those platforms, I'll come up. Telegram. Awesome. Well, thank you, sir. It was a pleasure to have you. An honor to meet you. Thank you for your service and for coming on the show. And let's make an effort to stay in touch. Oh, yeah, Chase. I'll have to get you on my show uh, here uh, this fall. Uh, this coming Anytime. fall before Christmas, we'll get you on. Love to. I love that. Love to have you. Thank you, sir. Son, 